This week on Trek, Mary Kill. Too many Rikers. Next. Eight years ago, a transporter mishap created an exact duplicate. I am Will Riker. Now, twin officers coexist. Which of them is real? Both. But hidden passions could turn them into bitter enemies. There's no place for you in my away team. And jealousy threatens to endanger a critical mission. Playing it safe. Why don't we wait and see who comes out on top? Let go! Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Hi, I'm Kat. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast that's unambiguous about its intentions to judge every episode of Star Trek. This week, we wrap up our split in two theme month with the Next Generation episode Second Chances. And here to judge it with us is Kat Spada from Feminist Frequency Radio. Kat, welcome back. Hello. I'm back. <laughs> I, I was this saying. So long. Yes. <laughs> Cat and Kristen are friends, and uh, it was mm-hmm. through Kristen I met Cat and realized that uh, oh wow, I've really asked you to be on the show in a very short order, multiple times. So <laughs> thank you for being here. <laughs> well, I I've really appreciated it because it's it's been over the past few years since getting Paramount Plus. Like I'd kind of idly put on an episode of Trek here here and there, and I've been watching, you know, Strange New Worlds, but having these recordings has kind of given me a reason to go back and say like, oh, you know, what does happen in that half of that season and start start watching more frequently. So consequently, I've I've seen episodes that I wish I never had, and I've also revisited um, <laughs> episodes that, that I hadn't seen in many, many years and enjoyed. Well, I'm always scanning for Riker because you were so adamant <laughs> in your first appearance of like Riker. That's my guy. I got to say, Jonathan Frakes just did like a TikTok where he's uh, it's a, a stitch or something where he's reacting to a guy dressed as Riker doing the chair uh, move on like several mm-hmm. different intensity levels. And just Jonathan Frakes watching this video is like the hottest he's ever been. Like he's just getting <laughs> better looking with age. So, um, yeah, this was absolutely a delight to to talk about this episode. The most attractive man is the one who's quiet and listens. <laughs> <laughs> there he was just watching and observing. <laughs> but uh, pretty much, w- I had a Janeway super fan on for. Our episode about Deadlock, the episode with two Voyagers and two Janeways. And so it was only fitting that I... Two Janeways? (laughs) That's right. Uh, And so it seemed only fitting to get the one, the number one Riker fan in my life uh, involved in the episode involving two Rikers. The second chances, uh, let's see here. Uh, Second Chances is the 24th episode of season six, written by Renee Echevarria from a story by Michael Medlock, directed by LeVar Burton. Uh, it premiered in syndication May 24th, 1993. So it's now, what, 30 and a half years old? Uh, old enough to have regrets, I think. Uh, it's an pr- old episode, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, Memory Alpha describes this one. The Enterprise finds a second Will Riker on a planet that he helped evacuate eight years ago. What Memory Alpha doesn't tell you is that this episode is also about Troy and Riker's relationship. Mainly, what would you do if the one that got away came back? Uh, that second chance is Riker having another opportunity to prioritize Troy over his career, which, spoiler alert, he does not, for reasons. 
So, uh, Kat, do you remember the first time you saw this episode? Not specifically, but I remember as a young child watching Star Trek that I also really, I have like a memory of really liking Deanna Troy. And then when I watched The Next Generation today, I'm like, why? Uh but <laughs> but watching this episode where she's so she's like such a strong character in this episode, I was like, gosh, I probably did see this one, um, especially because I I kind of misremembered it when I was going to turn it on. I was like, oh, yeah. And he's going to like kind of reconnect with Picard because he's meeting him for the first time. And that just doesn't happen at all. So mm-hmm. no. um, yeah. I do think I saw this, but it it wouldn't have been since I was a kid. What about you, Kristen? I don't remember the first time, but I've definitely seen this before. I mean, I can't. How can you forget that there's two Rikers and one of them's in a different colored shirt? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I, I remember it, too. And obviously, I'm like 12 years old when this one's out. And I'm like, ugh, romance. Yeah. Where, where is the <laughs> phaser fire? Where is the it's, red alert? Yeah, exactly. it was. It was too early for you for the for the romance. It was more like uh, I don't really and Riker not my not my favorite character and I didn't I never disliked Riker. He just like eh, didn't do anything for me. And Troy I always like because brunette curly hair, so I'm in. But <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that you said that, Kristen. Or it's interesting you said that cat about um, how your feelings on Troy changed over the years. Mine were like I was I was kind of whatever on her. And then over the years, I actually really like Troy because I like Marina Sirtis's performance. I, I've kind of settled on. I think Marina Sirtis might actually be like the second or third best actor in the cast. Wow. Because I think Troy in the early going, the first three seasons, they all tried to like figure out who is this character? What is her point? What does she do? And they certainly gave her a lot of crap. Like, oh, she's just the girl that with the feelings or whatever. And then like the second and third season, they tried to make the role a little more complicated. And then once they like hired like a slew of 30 year, 26 to 32 year old boys, basically writing the show, um, you know, immature men, her role became very flattened. But I feel like Sirtis was still pretty much giving a really solid performance. So I, I, I'm a big Troy fan. This is like a nice um, bit of maturity or like a decent episode to give her late in the show's run. Cause I'll talk about that a little bit later. The show was definitely starting to creak with its age by this mm. point in its run. But yeah, I remember that. And obviously, yes, I, I remember two Rikers, but also the poetry and the, the treasure hunt. Worf tells data, perhaps it is seeing something in your double that you do not like in yourself. Um, yeah, this is something I, that's touched upon in all of our doubling episodes. So I'm uh, Kristen, what would you not like to see of yourself in a double? Oh, I'm sure I'd be like, Oh my God, my posture is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like I would, I would be mostly physical, but I think if I'm a, like a doppelganger, not a doppelganger, this isn't a doppelganger, right? This is a transport accident that resulted in your actual double who has lived a different reality just because of that who got stranded on a planet so that's still me and so i'd be like oh no this is gonna be great i completely understand where you're coming from and almost all things like it's not a this is like the last episode we did of the original series which hasn't um come out yet of when of the transporter accident that just turns um captain kirk into the worst version of any man (laughs) it's not that (laughs) it's not evil me it's not 
even like different timeline me. This is just there was an accident eight years ago. And now there's two of me. Yeah. So yeah. I would be like fine with it. But on all these episodes we've done, everyone's like, oh, no, I hate this person. And That's- until Worf says that, which is later in the episode, I was like, oh, OK, because Data has the same questions I do is like, why aren't you guys like best friends? Like, why is it such a weird relationship? And Worf just puts it perfectly. Kristen, what if your your transporter twin from eight years ago had like worked out five hours every day and <laughs> had like less UV exposure or something? You know, like what if there were mm-hmm. physical things that would make you feel differently? Like, I don't think I'd feel jealous. I don't really feel jealousy towards other people. I so I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe this person looks better than me because at the end of the day, this person was marooned on an island on a not island. right, and they're also um, like vicious, mean, and sad. <laughs> yeah, they're probably like vitamin D deficient and just just crazier than a loon. I think. Yeah. Being by yourself, I mean, losing eight years of your life is losing eight years of your life. There's no getting that back. So I don't mm-hmm. think I'd be like, oh, they got to work out. <laughs> five hours a day, which by the way there wasn't enough food on there to be working out five hours a day but very true but he, yeah. but you could do the thing where it's like i knew it if i took the time to work out and read <laughs> i could look like that and be as smart as this person yeah this person became a rocket scientist <laughs> while i've right. been like doing a dumb star trek uh podcast yeah i guess that'd be like wow i've really wasted my time here I mean, I already work out a, a fair amount. So it's like, how much more could I work out? I mean, I think it's just if I were starving like that person, then yeah, sure. I bet I would look great for a little bit. But after eight years, I'd probably look pretty bad. All of all the facial volume. <laughs> Riker, this is prime years for men to lose facial volume due to excessive weight loss. And so he manages to escape that. Mm. That is why if you were a male actor such as Matthew McConaughey, you should not be like, I'm 40-something. I should lose a bunch of weight to play a a role because you will never get that facial volume back without, you know, like a fat transfer or some fillers. So that's the excuse for Matthew McConaughey. Yes. That's <laughs> no, why his face looks so crazy because he lost all the weight for that role and he was too old to have done it. I mean, he wasn't old, but you're too old to be like, oh, I'm going to become... 95 pounds yeah yeah so yeah don't lose a bunch of weight like a like a sickly amount of weight on purpose if you're a male after you know 40 i'd say cat well uh, do you not want to see in your double uh well now posture is absolutely uh the answer <laughs> right? because i hadn't thought about that but as a a former dancer who is now like an entirely sedentary lifestyle i'm already <laughs> like constantly thinking about the witch's hump that I'm the dowager's hump that I'm growing on my, on my (laughs) neck. But uh, my thought is uh, fear. I I'm a scare, real scaredy cat. So I think it would bum me out to see a version of myself. Who's like trepidatious about things um, and who might not even want to, hazard a trip across a precarious bridge in a cave uh because Mm. she'd be too nervous about everything i think that would that would bum me out to see in someone else that is myself so yeah 
Yeah. Mine's along those lines are like the self doubt or whatever, but also like too handsome. Like I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) when I look in the mirror, that's enough. I don't need to see it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You're like, talk about facial volume. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No facial volume loss over here, ladies. (laughs) Uh, So the big idea with this story was that the writers played around with killing off Commander Riker and replacing him with Lieutenant Riker. Insane. Insane. He would have taken the place of Data at Ops and Data would have become first officer. And this was rejected, obviously, because they were planning even as far back as season six, probably even earlier, that they're like, "Okay, we're going to wrap up the show and move on to the movies. Um, And I've certainly heard stories in the over the years, like the cast, most of the cast would have just kept going and like you could have just kept doing the next generation and like. Maybe if Patrick Stewart wasn't on there, Riker becomes captain and you just keep, you know, then it becomes like St. Elsewhere or like ER or something. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where just everyone's on the Enterprise. Um, but they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going <laughs> to have them become the movie franchise. So uh, but like it was the end of season six. They were playing around with different ideas. There was a whole idea of like, what if the Enterprise was turned into like a Queen Mary thing? You know, and then and then like, like the on their boat? like, what? yeah, or just like and then like in their first like you know, symbolic voyage, something happens and it causes them to crash land almost exactly how it happens in the movie. Like with, because the, the saucer crash sequence is in the Starfleet technical manual that Mike Okuda and Rick Sternbach, I think wrote back and that came out in like season four or five. So it was like that diagram was in there. And so that idea was just floating around and, uh, and they thought, well, why don't we do that in the show? Cause they really were out of ideas. And if you look at the list of ideas in season seven, it's like, it's like Picard has a son. Data has a mother, uh, <laughs> Worf's brother. Like they're just flo- throwing every relative out there. And Beverly has trying. an orgasm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Several actually. Um, so obviously they're like, all right, so we're not going to do that. And from memory alpha, Michael pillar, the uh, showrunner was, he pushed for both of them living he was like, what other show could do that? Where it's uh-huh. like, here's a double. And instead of one being evil or whatever, like, let's keep them both. Kristen, your opening bit. Ron Moore said the working title of this episode was to TWO, Many Rikers. <laughs> so it's cute. Uh, and then Brandon Braga is the one who suggested the treasure hunt based on his own romantic experiences. When all else fails, try the treasure hunt. It worked with Troy. <laughs> Mm. Have uh, either Brandon... of you ever done that or been the recipient? No, no, I've been no. like the I recipient mean, I, of like I've a game, like yeah. um, scavenger hunts at school and done like clues and stuff, but not in a romantic uh, setting. What about you? With romantic I, undertones, I planned one out meticulously many years ago, and then I lost the nerve to actually um, pull it off. <laughs> so oh no! Oh no! I just planned it, and then I, uh, I skipped to the end and just was like, "Oh, here's my little declaration of love." Instead of doing the treasure hunt, <laughs> someone did tell me once about their very elaborate proposal. Um, that was in a way a scavenger hunt but also um i think we would also nowadays call it a bit of a kidnapping oh oh i mean it was like getting this car i mean not like it was a scavenger hunt but like 
you know, she had to get in a car at some point, like a limousine at some point, and be driven off somewhere where she didn't know she, where she was going. Mm. I feel I like that would be unsettling for me. I would be like, what? no. As long as no. by that point you know who's responsible, but... Yeah, yeah but also, how long is this drive? It was a pretty long drive. So, you know. Also know. concerning, I, yes. Especially yeah. if she had, like, just I mean, watched- after, like, two hours, you'd think, like, what's going on? Right. Definitely. Right. Especially, it would have been funny if she had, like, seen the episode of The Sopranos the night before, <laughs> where uh, Drea DiMatteo is being taken out into the woods. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this might have predated that. <laughs> Maybe. Or might have been right around that time. I don't, I don't remember the, I don't remember the airing schedule of The Sopranos. I know there's lots of, like, breaks. I mean, the treasure hunt was a cute idea. I think I remember even at the time being like, well, they're, they're doing something with life. That's like a that people the treasure do. hunt on the ship. Totally yes. fine. Yeah, no, I, I it was like I getting like a transport or getting a runabout and go to these coordinates. That's too much. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm trying to think, have they ever done that before? <laughs> I'm like, that's we're on the edge of Cardassian territory. I don't know. Yeah, if right. I'm do that. <laughs> Causing an international talk, incident. Talk to the like transport uh, guy and tell him where to send you that's sort of the limousine kidnapping version is like you don't know where you're being transported that's right you just get in the transporter pad and like where am i going and they're like i'm not supposed to tell you hope a giant a giant nematode doesn't bite you yeah (laughs) like the idea of someone planning a whole thing and like i don't have it's just like oh pack your bag we're going to the airport or whatever that sounds like romantic in theory but in practice i'd be like where are we going yeah. What do I have to pack? Yeah. No, really. Where the fuck are we going? <laughs> I'm going to find out when I get to the gate. Like, what are you going to do? Blindfold me and poke me into an airplane? No one's going to allow do you, that. Do you think there's a sliding scale of acceptance of, of a situation like that based on age? Like, the younger you are, the more open you are to something like that. And the older you are, the more. No, 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 no. I've got things to do. What are we doing? <laughs> well, yeah, because like if you have actual responsibilities, you yes. can't just be going on a flight to God knows where. Yeah. I think also there's just um, dispositions. Like there are some people who are always going to be uh, unconcerned with logistics. And there are some people who are always going to be like, uh, I, I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. That, fair enough. All right. Great scenes. Let's let's get into the grades. Uh, Kat, as you are our guest, please go first if you'd like. Uh, any great scenes you want to point out? I got a lot of great scenes in this episode. Some of the other categories, I only have one or two things to list off. But I really loved the scene where Troy is talking to Lieutenant Riker about her relationship with Commander Riker and really talking him through what happened and like here's what would have happened to us if you had come back um i really liked that it's a short moment but the rikers talking about their father i thought was a great moment yeah i have that too it's like it's just short enough and they did really good job with the double also like in all the scenes where they had both of them Mm -hmm. it, it really was there's a couple moments where you can tell it's you know the blue screen but for the most part it was pretty seamless. Um, and then, uh, like, Beverly leaving Worf's class to let Troy and Lieutenant Riker get it on. And the fact that it immediately works, I thought was awesome. 
like Beverly just being like, y'all fucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's the body friend in the uh, rom com in this one. <laughs> she's Judy Greer. That's right. And then immediately in the next scene, when Commander Riker tells Troy that he doesn't want her to get hurt again by a version of himself that would have made the same heartbreaking decisions that he had made in his like path. Also, I just thought that was very beautiful. Like that was where this episode started to like really get good for me. Um, I mean, it was, I thought the whole episode was good spoiler alert, but where it really just got deep, like talk about looking at yourself and saying like, I know that I prioritized my career and I assume that this other version of myself would make the same, uh, decisions whether or not those are mistakes but i uh, thought that was really beautiful the scene with data and wharf talking about their own hypothetical doubles was good just for some great mm-hmm. michael dorn like eye shade acting <laughs> 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 where he just like he's so good at acting through that makeup and just making these little expressions where data's like data's like uh Correct. You are not very likable, but Riker is. Yeah. (laughs) Worf just kind of cuts his eyes at him like, I'm so ready to slice and dice you. (laughs) Um, After Commander Riker saves Lieutenant Riker from the broken bridge, they just like have an extended smirk at each other, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) felt like really funny. A charming man, uh, knowing (laughs) look. Yeah, it felt kind of like LeVar Burton being like, uh, I mean, why don't you just look at the camera and like give a Riker look? And then it, then they change costumes and they go and they set up the shot again. And then he's like, just give another Riker look. Like it was a very, <laughs> a very good choice. Um, and then the the farewell scene, I thought it was a really great moment when the doorbell rings or whatever and... Troy and Lieutenant Riker don't like they don't really move apart from each other they just stay like about to kiss no matter who's walking in which is very Riker and Troy to me and then that he gives him the trumpet but like they kiss farewell while commander is still there like there was a lot of um not I'm not trying to say like they were a thruple or whatever but there was a lot of them (laughs) Just, like, having a consideration for, like, I'm making a decision with this person, but you're also privy to what's happening in this between the two of us. And so that was, like, I thought just really well wrapped up in that scene. Yeah. Commander Riker said he was sort of flattered. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kristen, what about you? Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty oh, thorough I have, all the, I have some of those, too, but I also like when the when the grizzled Riker shows up, Worf is giving him the shifty eyes. Doesn't trust him yet. Who knows who this is? And that's so Worf. And then um, I did the Riker and Riker talking about their dad. Um, And then also the poker scene. (laughs) Um, And just everything else Kat mentioned, I guess. You know, Kristen, I I had said right before you came on that I was like annoyed at watching the prior episode to this just because I wanted to see if there was any background I'd miss. And it was like Worf having a crisis of faith because the like Klingon Messiah came back, but he was a clone. 
<laughs> and so I was like, this episode's annoying. But now that you said like he was skeptical of Grizzled Riker, I'm like, oh, maybe because he just went through this. With, like, yeah. I've been fooled head. recently by a clone <laughs> in the worst way possible. Fool me twice. Turns out was not me. the Messiah. <laughs> I like the very first scene because it has stuck with me for 30 and a half years of Deanna dressed up and Riker playing trombone. And she goes, Nightbird. Yeah. I know he can't play it. <laughs> um, I like playful Troy and um, she's very playful in this episode, but also. And her and Beverly in real clothes. Yes, exactly. Very rarely get that. Um, I actually really liked the Technobabble conference room scene that explained what the hell is going on here. <laughs> and yeah. it and just how it builds to Troy saying, like, I'll talk to him, which it's like, well, that's kind of your job anyway, Troy. It's not like that big of a deal. But I mean, like, she it's important that she's the one who says that and all that stuff, but also just that sets the the real the story is really about this relationship. Like all the planet stuff, like it's I mean, it's good that you point out the dad scene, but like we can all admit the MacGuffin of the scientific data that's never explained, never yeah. described. <laughs> it has no bearing. It's like it's meaningless. It's totally pointless. I really like the scene. It ends the first act where Lieutenant Riker's sitting there and she walks in and he rushes to her and he kisses her because uh, Marina Sirtis's performance that whole time, like from the conference room through that first scene of the two of them together is her knowing like I'm a mature enough person to understand exactly where this person I'm about to encounter is coming mm. from. And she's like able to, you know what I mean? Like there's a version where she's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. It's not like that. But like, yeah. she still loves Riker very much. She knows where this person's coming from. And like, this is the, ver it's almost like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm getting to be with the version of Riker that I fell in love with. Like that's it. yeah. It's I say get it, girl. Yeah, <laughs> but like she, what I mean is like she goes into it like so much. I guess open to part of the experience. At least that's what it, how it reads to me. Yeah. And um, just to see where what happens because, I mean, maybe it's like it's just a part of her that she didn't realize. Like, oh wow, this is amazing. This is an incredible opportunity. So I like that. And then yeah, and then that's it. All right, great. Uh, let's move on to best Trek tropes then. Cat. Uh, so my first one, it's a. Uh... It's really just a sci-fi trope at large, but, you know, who's the real one? That kind of, they kind of solve that pretty early on when Beverly solves it for us. And then, yeah, Jordy gives us the explanation of like, no, these are really both the real Riker. But at first, that kind of moment, like, like we're all going to be pointing a gun. And someone's going to say, like, let's <laughs> tell me something that Riker, only the real Riker would know. Like that, I felt like it's, it's a standard for a reason allows you to play and pose some really interesting questions that made me well that made me think of a couple of things what you just said one was mm. do you notice in the scene where dr crusher's checking him out like scanning him now obviously this lieutenant Riker has not seen a person in eight mm. years but he's giving her the one that we traditionally associate with uh commander Riker. he's checking her out <laughs> which i thought was fun uh it's a good it was a good thing for them to play and then just the the ridiculous science of like there's no genetic drift or whatever she says to explain yeah. how he's not a clone like just to brush that aside i thought that was that was silly but you know whatever <laughs> uh and my other best trek trope is 
some goofy cave shit. <laughs> I feel yeah. like when <laughs> I was That's when weird. I was recently on for the Voyager episode that I did not care for, but like I think my best Trek trope in that episode was just like meeting weirdos in the desert. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> there's like always a great episode where they're just in a cave and some like goofy hijinks have to happen for no reason. And I thought this was a really good a good action scene in a weird cave. Uh, again, that who really cares or knows why they're there to access whatever data that was lost in whatever mission eight years ago. But um, yeah, it was a good scene in in a, a a set of a cave. Kristen, limited transport window. Mm. Oh yeah! Finally, someone wants to bang Counselor Troy. <laughs> And poker and data wearing the dealer visor. Nice. Although yes. I do, does bring up the question: it, like, isn't it unfair to play poker against data because he can like count all the cards? Oh yeah. Or does he just like turn that off? No, he can. He's been I, thrown well, out of every. He casino. might have said, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> in, in the Alpha Quadrant, his money's not good there. <laughs> I think it's pr- well, I'm trying to remember if he has like he said, I I don't do that. Like I did turn it off. Yeah. Or if there is some it's like a commentary of like, you know, man versus machine, human beings versus machines. We can still be machines are good at numbers, but they don't have the gut. And so like is that why this he's is, always the dealer, maybe, maybe. So when I mean, he, but he's playing, too. Yeah. Yeah. In this one, at least when they uh, go back back in time to find his head <laughs> in the old and west. he just rinses the, the the card players yes yeah that's like how he gets money to like do anything is he just goes to a poker game so then the evidence would suggest yes he he was he holds it back holds himself back um i like the interesting transporter accident version which is dra- uh drafting off of what you were saying cat but i i like the novel take on the transporter accident like for one thing it happened in the past right it's not happening actively mm. in the moment and then even data remarks that it happened it was like an interesting approach like you're just creating this scene of like there was an emergency beam out and the transporter chief their chief o'brien like did this unorthodox uh procedure to try to make sure the beam out was successful and then it wound up being unnecessary i just like the weird like the whole engineering explanation of it to make it a little bit different than the usual one and then the other one kristen you and i have been stumbling across this one lately the unconventional use of a phaser uh Mm. i like i like when they use the phasers to heat the rocks but here he uh lieutenant Riker used it to make a a rock etching of uh janarin falls and then he gifts it to troy so um i I thought that was cool using a phaser that way all right, worst Trek tropes. Sorry, Kristen. Uh, for me, it's the poker, the poker <laughs> moment. Um, although, again, I feel like less a Trek trope than like, just a storytelling trope. Like, it's also, I think, one of the silliest moments in that Bond movie when Matt Mickelson tell during the game, and it's not poker. I guess it's like baccarat, but is that he he like a blood drop falls out of his eye, and I was like, that's. Insane. That's quite the tell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what if if that was your tell, you would not be playing high stakes card games in Monte no. Carlo. No, in um, Casino Royale, it is it's Texas Hold'em because they were trying to like modernize Bond. Oh, right. So, yeah. it was okay. Texas Hold'em. so I, I couldn't remember. I was like, they That's did okay. something weird with that game. Um, <laughs> I, I hate Bond, but I know that because 
everything I heard about Casino Royale made me roll my eyes and go, oh, brother. So- I'm, ex- I'm extremely <laughs> agnostic on Bond, but I worked on Skyfall, so I like tried to catch up on stuff, which is why I have a very narrow window of Bond information. But Well, no wonder I like Skyfall They're so not much. You worked on it? <laughs> Skyfall's good. Well, I, I mean, Skyfall's. like, Skyfall's. yeah, but like compared to say, like, the Mission Impossible movies are not very good. Yeah, agree, hard agree. Um, but yeah, that scene, like, I think it's also just one of those things where I'm uninterested in card games. So I'm like, oh, okay, we're gonna have a poker scene. Like, maybe I just start to lose interest, and then when they come in and they're like well, why don't we start to have an argument then about who actually, and it's like, all right, like I get it. Like there's a poetry to saying we're playing poker and we're going to like have a power play conversation. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was boring. <laughs> I mean, they could, there's a couple of things they, I thought the same thing. I, but I still thought, you know, uh, it's doing something with this Riker Riker storyline that maybe need, doesn't have the oomph of Riker Troy's storyline, but it's still, they're doing something like the, you could have just done the version where they're just playing each other for hours and hours. Like even mm-hmm. Riker, like even data and Worf have left and it's just down to the two of them. And they're just like in, in they're kind of fighting each other that way just to make it a little more dramatic, to make it a little more interesting, but no. They, they don't well, and that's that. also <laughs> like, I guess, you know, obviously solitaire exists, but that would be kind of funny if they like couldn't stop playing because they make all the same yes, <laughs> moves. That's true. Yeah, exactly. That would have been fun. <laughs> but maybe that would work better with like four dimensional chess because yeah, like a chess with, board. with cards, you're you're handed only you know whatever you're handed a different set of cards. But. The lower decks version might be them challenging the, each other to a series of games, and they would <laughs> they would draw on each game whatever it was they were playing. Um, yeah. Uh, where are we, Kristen? Yeah. Any worse track tropes? <laughs> Um, me and my doppelganger don't get along. <laughs> um, we've seen it several times now. And I guess maybe since I've seen it so much back to back to back, it's a little puzzling, but I understand it needs to be there for a dramatic effect. No one can be like, oh my gosh, it's my double. We're besties. <laughs> I mean, that's not an interesting show, I guess. The characters just have the character has too much riz and it can't, they can't <laughs> face each other. It's too blinding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We have Riker has been marooned on a planet for eight years and he doesn't have PTSD or like severe mental illness as far as we can tell. So I'm wondering, like, have they cured that in the future? Because most people would be a little off their rocker after that one. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's that kind of drifts into most of its time a little bit because I, you know, there's I think the episode at least makes mention of that. Right. Like he at least acknowledges like it's been a long time since I've had to listen to anybody or work with mm-hmm. anybody, you know, do all these things. But yeah, are, is there, is there a scene missing where they like had to reprogram him basically <laughs> to like get him Put you in this little, happy, but... this little uh, machine. <laughs> That's right. It takes away right. all of your tra- trauma. Okay. You know, but, majority... all, but only from this life, it, yeah, generational trauma. You have to, hold yeah, no, you got to work on that still, yeah. but you know, like how Jordy has to put his, his, chin on that thing that dr crusher uses to examine his Mm -hmm. eyes maybe there's like a here's your your stress reducer beam or whatever yeah it's like Um, the clockwork orange scene but she has to play him just like a bunch of cute animals making friends videos (laughs) like to cheer him up after (laughs) most people go feral after like three days of solitary confinement so yeah yeah Uh, i'm gonna say the science mcguffin of the data 
is only because it's it's just so lazy and it's kind of it's a little bit silly. And I mean, they, there was nothing they could have done. It was a fine excuse for everything. But I guess it's just leaving me wonder, like, were they studying how life could exist on this planet where you can't even really go outside? There's like this energy thing field that covers the whole planet. I don't really know. It was yeah, just so so like generic. Really interested in getting that database back, right? Even though like no one else could get to it for another eight years. Yeah. Like um, what what is on there? And this might be a TNG trope, but the scene where D- with Data and Morph, where Data asks some basic ass child shit about what's going on, and you know, like bothering Morph. Yeah, in <laughs> season six. Yeah, in season six, and he's asking it almost. He sounds like a child. Like, why is this? Why are we doing? But it's really. The, I think it's also kind of a flatly written scene that doesn't tie. Re- it ties into what's going on, but it's like. It's whatever. It's really only there to set up the next sequence because you're supposed to take the poker game and um, that the act out where Riker grabs him by the shoulder and the poker game. And then this scene as like a setup for like, ooh, could he be an evil twin or a twin that turns in the next sequence when they're down below and it's just the two of them. Like to me, that's the only reason the scene's there and it's a little annoying because Well, do you think that that scene would have been between Jordy and Data if LeVar Burton hadn't been directing the episode? Yes, I have the, I like, definitely That sounds thought. more like something mm-hmm. that Data would talk to Jordy about and it would lo- seem less childlike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's just totally talking true. to his brother they hate each other. What's going on there? I do like that Worf's like, I'm not an easy person to be around. And I was like, oh, don't cut yourself sh- short, Worf. But <laughs> yes, but right. Worf gets it. He's a lot. <laughs> so, uh, most of it's time quality. Okay. I think your assessment of this scene was correct. But I think when Lieutenant Riker does just like pick up Troy and kiss her. Like, it's not like he woke up from a from a coma and doesn't realize eight years have passed like if he is you know an emotionally intelligent adult person like he would know you'd think like oh even if she thought I was dead and there was no other Riker like she may have moved on it's been eight years I feel awkward like it did feel a little dated to me that he would just kind of sweep her into his arms and pick her up and that she wouldn't be like hey, uh, no one gave you permission to like grab me like that. But I do think that you're right. She went into that conversation knowing how it might go or that that was a possibility. Um, But that was, you know, to have just one moment in a 90s TV episode that I think slightly offends my like women have agency sensibilities of today is, is kind of amazing in and of itself. Otherwise, um there's a couple of scenes where they have to have two Rikers, you know, face the camera or like head on where you can tell that the effects aren't as good as they would be. But otherwise I don't really have a lot for this category. Yeah. I did like that. They tried a couple of times to make Thomas Riker or Lieutenant Riker's hair part differently. <laughs> and I'm not sure if they just gave up on it or just like, or what happened. Cause only in a couple of scenes is it like on his left side, is it parted? And then the rest of the time, it's really just they have the same hair. So I don't know. That was all, the only other thing besides the VFX that I noted. But I, I clock the same thing. It's like that's the most of its time. What about you, Kristen? Riker's 90s jazz band in 10 forward. <laughs> like, 
absolutely just like I walked into a 90s jazz club. Like, I mean, white guy jazz club. Let's be I real. love that they were like, let's give this upright bass a little future tech look. But the like trumpet drum kit and keyboard are all just like standard issue. Yes, exactly. It's like no one will notice this. It'll be in the background. Yeah. Uh, that did remind me of like the one time in college. I like, I, w- I was with my girlfriend and we went and we went, met my mom who was a single lady and she was with some friends and they were at a, a, a restaurant or a club. And there was like an all white dude jazz band playing. Yeah. And that's I, a, that's <laughs> a thing. <laughs> it yeah. sounded just like, but like boomers. <laughs> yeah. The all white uh, jazz, jazz band is <laughs> ubiquitous. I would say in the boomer community. And then they, I, I've spent a little t- bit of time in, in uh, New Orleans and, and you go there and you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> so- <laughs> I did go to a jazz club in Chicago and the white guy running it um, was so angry that we my sisters and I whispered to somebody who we were meeting that we're going to leave now. He's like, shh. <laughs> I'm like, but we're in like the vestibule. And he's just like, shh. Like, OK. This guy sucks, but yeah. So white guys take their jazz very seriously. Those guys all walked so that Ryan Gosling and La La Land could run. Yeah, like that was not an exaggeration. There really are white guys out there like, I'm saving jazz. <laughs> and this girl talked through it. Okay, on my old 90210 podcast, uh, we interviewed Billy Vera, who is like a notable musician of an era his star on the walk of fame is right in front of the Capitol records building right next to the beatles um he was just a talking head in the little richard documentary but he played a bookie on beverly hills 90210 (laughs) for several episodes and agreed to come on my dinky podcast to talk about it um so because my co-host and i were so like taken by this like funny old guy who we were like oh, please meet us for a recording. You know, is there anything we can pr- offer you? And he was like, I'm a Pepsi man and no seafood, <laughs> which was <laughs> hilarious to me. So we did go see him play at the Catalina Jazz Club, which if you've never been, like Lady Bunny does performances there. It's just like a venue. But um, it's in the on the ground floor of just like an office building in Midtown LA. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> and... and Yeah, there were like this old, bald, white guy who was, you know, hot shit in the 70s, still has like groupies who show up. Like there were, there were screaming ladies in the front row of this, you know. What would you say is the average age of the screaming lady groupie? 67. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's um, about what I thought. That's that's, that's uh, yeah. That's what like, happens. Uh, Thirty-five. I'm like, uh oh. That's what happens real... when you don't lose a bunch of, of weight in your forties. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. No, he, you don't. He have, found... Yeah, you haven't lost you the face volume. volume. Yep. Don't worry, he found some, and yeah. <laughs> it was. But it was really, it was really spectacular. So that's that's my my note, and I will say, um, he was a lovely guy. So <laughs> check out Billy Vera on streaming services everywhere. Uh, definitely do that. And speaking of jazz and speaking of, of its time, one last thing I got to put in here is the transporter chief in the episode was Dr. Mae Jemison, uh, an astronaut, NASA astronaut. The first uh, African-American woman in space is. I 
hope that's the first and last time that someone says speaking of jazz and then goes on to talk about Dr. Mae Jemison. <laughs> she is, she's produced several shows of modern jazz and African dance in her post NASA career. I had no idea. Me neither until I was reading more about it. Oh, Kat thought it was a stereotype thing. I sure did. I'm so (laughs) sorry. And it was because the woman had produced numerous jazz programs. Okay. All right. Well. Women in STEM apparently in in music as well. Women in jazz. Let's edit it out and we'll (laughs) pretend it never happened. No, I I like seeming like uh, I'm an idiot because I I am. So me too. <laughs> me too. It's no problem. I didn't. I, I in fairness, I did not know who the hell you were talking about. Oh well, I I mean I remember the Entertainment Tonight. Remember Entertainment Tonight? I remember the Entertainment Tonight. Um, promo. Entertainment Tonight is still on the air. I'm gonna age myself incredibly right now. I'm gonna like turn into the villain in Last Crusade right now. That's how quickly I'm about to age myself. I used to be a devoted Entertainment Tonight viewer until at some point. Do you remember the TV show Hard Copy? Yes. Which was uh-huh. the CZ tabloid show that would come on before yeah. Entertainment Tonight. Mm-hmm. And at one point late, like right when Hard Copy was like starting to fade out, they swapped EPs, Entertainment Tonight and Hard Copy. And once oh. that happened, Entertainment Tonight became garbage and I was like, nope, I'm done. And this happened before the turn of the century. Well, <laughs> so I, it's been dead to me for like 25 years. But they used to cover Star Trek all the time. Like they'd always they have still do. Star Trek news. Well, that's great, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So back then, a little entertainment, I guess, entertainment tonight, hard copy um, gossip, I guess. Um, these celebrities who would regularly give... Um, entertainment tonight on set interviews and access to like their, you know, weddings and all that kind of stuff started to get very upset that hard copy, which was produced by the same company and usually aired on the same channel was, you know, hiding in their bushes. So Mm. at one point they actually were like, we're not going to actually give you guys interviews anymore. If you keep hiding in our bushes and being like, Oh, look how fat Liza Minnelli got or whatever. As an example. That like that, that that was literally the show would be like, look how fat so and so is, and it's just like the most unflattering picture from the worst angle, and they used to like manipulate the photos to make it look worse. Um, it was basically the National Enquirer of television shows. Wait, so then their solution was, well, we'll just then put that person who made those decisions in charge of entertainment. I tonight. don't know what happened, but at some point, I think I even really remember the name. I think really I even big remember the Linda Bell stopped, Blue <laughs> stopped cooperating with Entertainment Tonight, um, and I and Hard Copy is no longer on the air, obviously. No, right. And um, sh- and shows like Inside Edition have pivoted more to human interest than salacious celebrity gossip. Um, like you know, look at this, look at the size of this squash this guy grew in his backyard, like stuff like that. Not look how fat somebody is, or is uh so and so you know it was always like a shirley mclean story hmm. like who who's what weird thing does shirley mclean say now which well, by the way <laughs> brian has a great story <laughs> that he will not tell on air but and that's apparently right, apparently they were right to to report on all the weird shit that she would say but yeah oh wow this that story now has new resonance given the so recent events resonance. yeah <laughs> 
I'll tell you afterwards. I'm going to need to stay on for that. I also feel like my mom was on hard copy. Oh, (laughs) I guess as a cop? Yeah, she did. um, Yeah, I think she was interviewed after like the Northridge earthquake or something. And I... I I was going through some VHS tapes and I'm pretty sure one of them is hard copy. So I remember their post coverage that ended um uh, uh primetime soap the sets were so damaged that they they just canceled the show. Like that's how much the North I remember that being reported which, at Entertainment which Tonight. Primetime soap? I'm trying to remember so I know a lot of the daytime was, soaps they just kept filming. It was a like Thursday. all right it's okay cuz like the sets aren't that great. Yeah, it was a CBS show on, I think, Thursday nights. It was a mm-hmm. primetime sh- soap that kind of starred maybe a soap opera person of her time who had moved into primetime. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. And I it also remember nothing I ever watched. It was probably just it, some garbage. Yeah. And then there was also you know news about Deep Space Nine because that was affected by the earthquake, too. They had to shut down production. Um, now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. Cat. Sometimes I'd look into the sky and imagine that he knew and that somehow he could sense me thinking about him. So who knows? Maybe one night we were looking up at the same star and you were thinking about me. And in a way, I was thinking about you. Aww. Yeah. yeah. That line is beautiful. It got me that whole, she gives this whole speech about how she was heartbroken. And then she manages to find this beautiful silver lining in that heartbreak that like maybe all of those times that she was yearning it wasn't totally in vain because there was a version of her love that still lived i think i mean i've i've been through the ringer with heartbreak more than once in my life and to have this show just really beautifully encapsulate it i i thought that was a perfect line and then kind of like uh also you referenced it but when troy sits commander Riker down and is like look we've both dated other people but it's a little more complicated do you have feelings about me pursuing this alternate version of you or being with him and he says flattered sort of like it seems like kind of funny (laughs) out of context but i actually thought that was a really a really um mature line (laughs) like that Paired with him saying, I just don't want you to get hurt by me again, because I know I have the capacity to hurt you and I care about you. Um, so, yeah, those yeah, lines, that Troy line really, really knocked me out. Yeah, we don't really talk. We didn't really talk about yet the uh, jealousy dial for Riker. I think throughout the series, the the dial goes, you know, it jumps around quite a lot. And um, I think this is probably one of the more mature moments and obviously maybe there's some ego involved. He's like, well, it is me. Um, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I, I did think it was really nice and, and uh, I guess understated almost right. They don't mm-hmm. like make it. It doesn't, it's a big deal, but they're not making it bigger than it is. I guess they're not bringing a lot more of histrionics to it or anything. Uh, what about you, Kristen? I've practiced that face in the mirror enough times to know you're bluffing, which is something um, someone would say who doesn't know what they're talking about. (laughs) I've played enough cards. Um, And then I think data says, okay, this is not verbatim. You know, I'm really bad about writing it down verbatim, but I find human value, humans value their uniqueness. And then after, Mm. and then yada, yada, yada data saying it. And then 
we've already talked about it, but worth saying that, or perhaps it's seeing something in yourself that you don't, or seeing something in your double that you don't like in yourself. And I was like, hmm, yeah. true. <laughs> nice insight, Worf. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine was Nightbird. <laughs> night bird. I like how it's like the free bird, but they're like, we can't do that. No. So come up with something else. I rewatched that scene again after finishing the episode for a hundred reasons. But yeah, her just, just trolling him with that as if like, oh, maybe he didn't hear me. I did, you know, on the other side of the Troy line, I, I did like Riker's line. Sometimes I would look up into the sky and I think if I tried hard enough, I could make you feel my presence. That if I could let you know that I was alive, maybe you'd wait for me. I know it sounds crazy, but there were times when I could have sworn. I just think that's really, I mean, it just plays on the fact that she's an empath. So it's like, it's very real. That's mm. like, it's not him like trying to bullshit her. It's like, she's an empath. I really thought maybe, maybe, maybe like also it does tie into what we were talking about. Like he definitely was losing his mind down there. You know, there were definitely yeah. times he even admits like that he was going crazy. Um, I did like, or, you know, losing it. Uh, I really did like the part where, she knocks him down and they roll they she rolls on top of him and yeah. he says, What was that called? Mr. Worf's a very good teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Here is how you subdue your romantic partner. And <laughs> is this aft before or after she's had her relationship with Worf? Before. It's okay. Before. That's thought... that's mostly season seven. Yeah. This is okay. our weird sex stuff that we do. <laughs> if she was like well i know a few klingon tricks myself like <laughs> wait is Worf teaching a sex class <laughs> uh, yes and then i'm gonna i'm just gonna just be corny and say i liked Riker's stupid clues it pulses unendingly all through the night seek out the crystal that powers our flight and then what the future holds, no one can know. But forward we look and forward we go. Maybe I just like her reading it. I don't know. But I liked, I liked both of those. And also, it was a bit of whimsy in The Next uh -huh. Generation, which at this point in the season, they were recycling ideas and scenes. And it all just was starting to feel a little flat and not really relatable or remotely recognizable. And this was a, a nice little return to, oh, these are people. Cool. Mm -hmm. And like when, when Picard met his one who got away he didn't do any scavenger hunts whatsoever no, no he didn't <laughs> so, he just slapped a towel and mm -hmm. and, and was a coward <laughs> yeah so now right. i know who's the more romantic one if we didn't already yeah all right so then this will be tricky the anton caridian award for best performance cat uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to guest star Dr. Mae Jemison. <laughs> that's, that's not real, really my answer, but I did read that Nichelle Nichols was on set while uh, Dr. Jemison was there. And LeVar even, Burton heard he that she was a fan, so he set this all up because he's, so, he's awesome. It's so cool like that she was inspired by Uhura, Uhura and then like was a groundbreaking herself and then got to do this like one line and she does it great um but even the fact that like i didn't recognize her name at first but when i saw it come up in the credits i was just like doctor and that even just jarred me enough to pause the episode and look it up before i got to see her because you know i figure there are probably a lot of actors who have a 
an Esquire or at least a real estate license, and they don't put that yeah. in the credit. So, um, enough, frankly, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> licensed cosmetologist. But, um, but actually, I think this is the best performance I've seen Marina Sirius ever give. Like, I'm sorry, Brian, I find her so flat in her delivery, and maybe it's because. I often feel like these her character is being written by people who are skeptical about therapy. Um, mm-hmm. But a hundred percent, there's they don't even they don't understand the character. It's not an easy character to write. She's really only an interesting character through like season three, and then after there, that, it's really wishy washy. Yeah, I just think a lot of the time she's she has a really stilted way of speaking, and it it usually actually kind of takes me out of the scene. And I think that just in my youth, I was like, she's so beautiful and that's why I love her. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like as an actor, I'm like, Oh, often disappointed in this episode. I was like, she's carrying this whole episode on her back. Like I think uh, it would have been interesting to have an episode where there's a new Riker who's meeting um, Picard. I think that would be really compelling, but she brings this um, vulnerability into this that I really, really loved. So I, I kind of remember to drop this back into the Mae Jemison thing. The only part about that, her appearance that bothered me then and bothered me now is that they didn't turn on the console for her or they forgot to when oh. they shot it because she's, she's saying what the readings are, but the console is completely black. It's completely dark. Mm. And I was so annoyed at the time. <laughs> and I'm more annoyed now. And it's like, you know, they remastered these. They could have just like put a graphic yeah. on there, superimposed it. And they did not do that. So that was annoying. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Uh, any disagreement? Because she was mine, Kristen. Oh, I just I thought Jonathan Frakes did a good job because it's hard to play to a double. Like yeah. A, so. He was my Shatner because he really has to go for it for both mm-hmm. of them. And I just, I like Jonathan Frakes, but I, I think at least in season six of the next generation, he was not giving what he gives in star Trek Picard season three type of acting. And so I don't know, but you, is it, are we saying that they're tied for Anton Caridian or do, does this have some, does it matter? It does to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I did have I did have a, a, another candidate for the Shatner, Gates McFadden, because <laughs> she has to go for it as like the body best friend, but also the way she kind of like breathlessly delivers her lines, like they're ident- they're genetically identical. You know, in the sick base scene, she's like really trying to kind of like breathlessly uh, deliver it to really express this is real, this is urgent. Um, the Shatner is not bad acting. I think some people forget that. It's just you go for it. That's all. Uh, what part of this will they teach at Starfleet Academy? Uh, whatever the deal is with the force field that duplicated the beam. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agreed that that was like a good scene. You know, I definitely clocked like, oh, this is the scene that Jordy is uh, directing himself in. But uh, yeah, whatever that shit was, that's what they'll teach. <laughs> Yeah, the possible downside of activating a second confinement beam on an emergency transport. Uh Uh-oh, you could have have made a copy. (laughs) I also just want to say, obviously, my loins 
desire for Riker, I think, is well documented at this point. But uh, his, my whole, uh, my whole life, I have also always gravitated to whatever character was wearing glasses, especially as a child when I wore glasses at starting at age three. So, if you had asked me at the time, who's your favorite character? I absolutely said Jordy. Um, just because of his eyepiece. <laughs> and I, um, I, for, I kind of forgot about that until I was watching this episode and thinking, um, man, LeVar Burton's really been there for, for so many generations of TV viewers. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was Did, inside. I, I mentioned that I saw him at the picket line. Sorry to repeat this, Kristen. But he was uh, doing one of the Star Trek picketing days. And I didn't see him. I heard his voice behind me. Uh. And I turned around and it was like heaven, like the the energy beams coming off of him. He was smiling like it just the there was like a 20 foot radius of just pure light. I <laughs> like it. Amazing. It was just awesome. It was, it was pretty uh, incredible. Uh, yeah, I hope they're teaching whatever the fuck was on that stupid database. They went to so much trouble to get <laughs> like Jesus Christ. What That's data right. could possibly still be relevant eight years later? Like unbelievable that they're sending the flagship even to yeah, go retrieve right. it yeah right. and <laughs> risking and life also, and limb I have, a, I have a shatner um suggestion okay so i think the person that was really going for it in this episode was uh the costume and hair and makeup team specifically <sighs> for the opening scene at the at the white jazz club oh and yeah yes I'd like to I'd like to read my notes here. Um, <laughs> the scene opens. We follow a hard butch into the room. She's got she's, the, extremely... she's a recurring background character. Yeah, I love her whenever she pops up her spiky mullet. And <laughs> um, and then we get Crusher in a cold shoulder top, which I feel like that um, was a real I mean, that showed up hardcore in the 2010s. So in some way, they really were predicting future fashion, just not this far into the future. Uh, Riker's performance tunic and uh, the alien keyboardist's Neelix-esque top. Like you pinpointed, Kristen, like how 90s this jazz band is, but also that like 90s upholstery fabric that Neelix is always wearing on Voyager. I feel like we saw (laughs) in this band. Um, and of course, like the different hairstyles, the fact that uh, Troy's been flat ironed for this scene and even Beverly's got like a little do going on. Uh, but also, I did notice that Rikers, the two Rikers have different beard shapes. Yeah, <laughs> so they do. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I One of that them well. is shaved closer to the jawline and the other one, like his beard goes a little higher up towards the cheekbone and that the... Uh, you know, hair and makeup t- team decided to do that unless that was a Jonathan Frakes original. Um, I think shows a lot of 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 chutzpah. So, can I just the butch is Tracy Lee Cacho Caco C O C C O, and she did all seven seasons, and I think she did the first two movies, and she did a lot of background. So she's always been a member of the crew of the Enterprise. So love her. Yeah. Uh, all right, where do we? Oh, so could the could episode have been hornier? Would that yes. have made it better? Yes, well, obviously. The yes. two directors don't kiss even once. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like an E2 Mama Tambien situation where they think it's going to be the three of them and it's just the two of them. <laughs> Look, you think that Riker, like any other red-blooded American male, hasn't asked himself the question, could Can I, I suck my own dick? Like my own dick. <laughs> Here he has the perfect opportunity. You know Troy's down to clown. Mm-hmm. Like, that they could really... Just for a little bit of fun and whimsy. And maybe that does happen off screen, but... um, Yeah, they could have gotten some holodeck stuff in on there. I mean... Yeah. But... I agree, the beta zoids yeah. are very open. Very open. So, like, that's... Counselor Troy should have gotten some sex. In she this did. Episode. Wait, wait, wait. Are we even saying she didn't? I think they boned. Yeah, they oh, totally no, did. He, says, he said, then at the end, Tom uh, Riker says, oh, I guess I could wait a little bit longer. To be with her long term. Oh, come on. He's inviting her to come on board the the Gandhi think, to, to be they, part of the family. I think if they hadn't had sex, he would have been fighting a little bit harder for her at the end. I do think that like after that uh Klingon Tai Chi class, they definitely went back to their yeah. quarter. And am I wrong in, in that if they hadn't had sex? that she wouldn't have been as upset as she seemed when she realized, oh, nope, this is going exactly as I feared it would go. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I was unequivocal waiting... that no. they, they boned. No. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm surprised to hear this. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I read this episode very differently if they, if they don't. So I think, I don't did. think they do. But I I wish I were wrong. Because I'd be wrong. I just it seems like if they they have sex and he feels like okay, my life's back on track. I'm back on my career path. She's gonna come with me on this ship, and I'm gonna do this. Like everything's back to normal or how it was supposed to be. Like that's how I read it. Like, don't you anyway. think they would have shown that, like something else to suggest that? Like uh, morning like somewhat, after yeah. scene. Or something. Well, they have to get that data. They they probably were like, (laughs) they were probably like, we we shouldn't fall asleep. We've got to get this data. (laughs) Okay. No snuggling. You've got to get go down to the planet and get that data. (laughs) The database takes precedence (laughs) over our our snuggles after any aftercare. All right. That's right. No refractory period. Get that data. I can't right. barely stand up. <laughs> All right, so Trek, Mary, or Kill, second chances. Cat, our esteemed guest, Cat Spot. Mary. I love right. this episode. Oh, Kristen. I'm just going to give it a Trek. <laughs> I'm also sorry. giving it a Trek. <laughs> Although. I'm sorry to disagree the, with you, Cat. The, Again, the, <laughs> the fuck is, is being like Trek is in place of fuck, which is what I don't think they did, but that's okay. I'm going to say it's a Trek. <laughs> I just was pulled out by the. MacGuffin, and mm. I didn't find the Riker Riker scenes as compelling. But I guess I should realize, as a Riker super fan, you're like, I was I was intently focused. <laughs> I was intently focused on it, but but honestly, it was that like that speech about heartbreak that Troy gave. Yeah, I just thought was brilliant, and I loved that. I do think like you alluded to, they they might have killed off one of the Rikers. Uh, you know, that could have been. That could have really upped like the dramatic stakes of that, this. Is I, like, oof. you know, if they had been like, well, we the, there's a Starfleet law, like we can't let both of them live. 
<laughs> that's actually that's actually like a, a lesser known clause of the Prime Directive. You know, it's there, like cannot, time- there can be only one. <laughs> the Highlander rule. <laughs> the Highlander like clause. A, like somehow, you know. <laughs> And I, I understand that Thomas Riker like shows up in one episode of Deep Space Nine, like, but the oh, fact so that great. it it doesn't add more complication to our world, like, does kind of flatten it for me. So, but really, like, I just I was so moved by the um by the almost simple uh read on what if the one that got away could come back, you know, and you could and you could only have a few days with him like that. I thought was very, very good. No, I think that's everyone should watch this episode if they're rooting for Troy and Riker, because this is a a key episode. It's, it's very well done. Like their, their story emotionally is very well worth it. And, you know, we know what happens to them. They have Uh basically a happy ending and all that stuff and all works out. But if you didn't have this episode, if you hadn't been watching them this whole time, this was a good one to have in there. It really is. Um, All right. So, that concludes our split in two theme month. It's over, Kristen. You don't have to watch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, well, the Treks had it. Sorry, two to one. We we outnumbered. Oh, yeah. We because okay. I joined you on the Trek side. Mm. Um, so, but, oh, thank God. so we don't have to do a stupid poll. Oh, no, God. no stupid polls. I know. Uh, but Kat, thank you for coming back. So <laughs> I, hope, <laughs> I hope you did not take the disagreement uh, too negatively. But uh, be or sure should to we listen- do a poll and it'll be, did they have sex or not? That's <laughs> the yes poll. No. That's the poll. We're going to put that on there. Uh, be sure to check out Cat Spot on Feminist Frequency Radio. Cat, is there anything else you want people to be uh, aware of as we mm, head into the new year? I don't think so. Uh, this episode comes out at the end of December, right? Yep. So uh, we're probably in a season break uh, right now, but please feel free to go back and listen to Feminist Frequency Radio's last uh, few seasons. We'll be coming out with a new one in a couple weeks. All right. And next week, it'll be next year. And our monthly animated spotlight will be on the first two episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks. And I'll be joined by a prior guest of ours, Katie Hampton from the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast. And then Kristen and I will kick off our next new theme month with Deep Space Nine's The Alternate. Thank you for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app platform of choice. And check out our Trek Mary Kill website uh, for all the standings. So until next week and next year, TMK out. Bye. Happy New Year or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>